Welcome to the Eastern Oklahoma Catholic Podcast, your source for all things Catholic in the Diocese of Tulsa and Eastern Oklahoma. The church blesses many things. The church blesses every kind of person. Sure. But the church can't bless unions that are not marriage, sexual unions that are not marriage, uh, whether that be between uh, people who are divorced and remarried and perhaps pursuing a declaration of nullity that hasn't come yet, or people who are cohabiting without marriage, or even whether that has to do with persons who are same-sex attracted but living in a sexual relationship with someone. That's not the kind of a relationship that can be regularized, that can be uh, made a sacrament. But nonetheless, if they approach the church and ask to be blessed, what this declaration is simply specifying in a way that's clearer than it was before is that the church's minister can offer them a blessing. Welcome to Tulsa Time with Bishop Condorla. My name is Derek Lissy, and I am your host. Um, and it's great to be back with you all. It's been some time since we've actually recorded a show. It's been a few weeks. And, and you managed to not introduce yourself as Adam Minahan. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. The new host of Tulsa Time. So it's it's good to be with you as host for the first time. We have a we have a special guest here today with yeah. us, uh, a gentleman by the name of Josh Funderburk, who is the Newer development newer, director yeah. for uh, St. <laughs> Philip Neri Newman Center at the University of Tulsa, one yeah. of our vibrant ministries here in the Diocese of Tulsa. So welcome, Josh. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. And of course, there might be people yet who missed the episode where we did explain that Adam Minahan has taken another position that yeah. fortunately for all of us allows him to remain still in town. That's right. And so yeah. we still have the the gift of his family and his presence as a volunteer in many things. But Tulsa Time continues with a new host, and and uh, so we just continue along. That's right. So it's great to it's great to be with you, Bishop. Mm -hmm. um, and there's been a lot going on in our world uh, here yeah. of late. There's been a lot going on in the church. Things have been in the news. Um, yeah, just and it's it's literally possible, and maybe even likely. That there are some people who have not heard until now that this past Monday, I guess it was, maybe Sunday, uh, that the Vatican released a declaration from the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith titled Fiducia Supplicans. And it's a declaration that has created a huge furor on social media and in the media sure. generally, and headlines have been all over the map, and people are saying all kinds of things about it. We're releasing a, a memo today, or a letter mm -hmm. today, to the diocese, to the priests and the deacons, just trying to uh, further explain um, the declaration, what it says and what it doesn't say. 
And I think that, once again, it's another opportunity, and we talk about this often on Tulsa Time, and when I'm out in parishes and, and visiting with groups, invariably, I end up talking a lot about uh, the need for us to be much more ready to read our catechism and our Bible than sure. to be following social media and to be allowing headlines, which are incorrect almost always, <laughs> to be allowing headlines to blow up our peace. Mm -hmm. Our peace is in the Lord. It's not in the headlines. And so... Nonetheless, it's useful to uh, help people to understand what a declaration like this might mean, what this one in particular means. It has to do with the pastoral desire of Pope Francis to have the church be open to everyone and to be striving to reach out to every person and a recognition that there are some limitations in some of the things the church can do, for example, with regards to blessings of, of uh, people's marriages. The church, of course, blesses marriages. The church blesses many things. The church blesses every kind of person. Sure. But the church can't bless unions that are not marriage, sexual unions that are not marriage, uh, whether that be between uh, people who are divorced and remarried and perhaps pursuing a declaration of nullity that hasn't come yet, or people who are cohabiting without marriage, or even whether that has to do with persons who are same-sex attracted but living in a sexual relationship with someone. In those cases, the church can't bless those kinds of unions, Um the sort of the one category because they're irregular up to now, meaning they can be regularized. A person, a couple who are divorced, who were divorced and have remarried, they don't have a declaration of nullity. If they pursue a declaration of nullity, if it can be granted in their case, then their marriage could be convalidated. A couple who's cohabiting without marriage can get married, uh, those are cases where a, a, a union can be uh, convalidated in the church. In the case of a couple of people who are living in a sexual relationship because of a same-sex attraction, that's not the kind of a relationship that can be regularized, that can be uh, made a sacrament. But nonetheless, if they approach the church and ask to be blessed, what this declaration is simply specifying in a way that's clearer than it was before is that the church's minister can offer them a blessing. But in that case, the church's minister is offering a blessing of these persons in view of, for example, a growth in faith, a, 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 a growth in virtue because of God's grace in their life, um, and with the hope that they continue to move into full communion with the church and so forth. So it's not the declaration specifies in numerous places. I think I counted 16 different places in the declaration that it specifies that the church cannot bless illicit unions, 
but the church can't always bless people. Examples of that that I've spoken to a number of the priests about, at the end of every Mass, we bless everybody that's there, Catholic, not Catholic, in an irregular marriage or not, same-sex attracted or not. When I go to celebrate Mass at the jail, I bless everybody that's there. I bless anybody that asks right. yeah. whether they're Catholic or not, whether yep. they're repentant of the crime that brought them to jail or not. And so... Um, the Declaration doesn't do what a lot of the headlines have said that it does. And the fact that some people may abuse uh, this, this lower-level, spontaneous kind of blessing uh, or use it in ways the church doesn't intend can't keep the church from still trying to, to reach out to people, to offer them whatever it can. And so... The hope is that, uh, in fact, this this ability to offer spontaneous blessings of mercy over persons, not unions, will nonetheless be of uh, spiritual good to them, spiritual use to them as they strive to continue to grow in their faith. The Pope would like to see a church that accompanies people, that walks along the journey of life with people. Well, this is another way of providing an invitation is what it amounts to. So uh, I hope that over time, you know, the headlines will will fall away as they typically do, and the clarifications and, and things like the document that we're putting out today to help people understand what the document, what the declaration says and doesn't say will, will help this all to sort of calm down. Mm-hmm. But for now, it's, it's caused quite a stir. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's always there's always commentary and always questions from folks whenever anything comes out like this. Well, and that's where I was starting with with my comments is that uh, again, how often do we see things in in the social media and in the news that are simply incorrect? Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, and yet all the time we still get upset if we see mm-hmm. something there that we don't want to see or something. Well. Yeah. We ought to learn that when we see a headline and it seems not right, it probably will not be right. It probably will be demonstrated later to not be right. So we should calm down and slow down, quit looking at all that stuff and spend more time looking at things that feed our faith. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we've got a guest today. So Josh, um, so we know you're the development director at the the Newman Center, but... um, Turn the pages back a little bit. Tell us about your conversion because yeah. you're a recent convert to the faith. Yeah. 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 So tell so us about that. I uh, I grew up here in Tulsa and in West Tulsa and Berry Hill. Um, actually, there's a seminary in Luke Bland. We went to the same high school oh. together. Yeah. Okay. And so um, neither one of us were Catholic growing up. And, and there really wasn't a Catholic presence at all on that west side of Tulsa. There is now. Um, but uh, there wasn't at the time. And I kind of grew up in a Protestant background. And... I was always the status quo church goer. Me and my family, I, I felt like we were a very, we we're going to go because everybody else goes. Yeah. And so I grew up kind of not, it wasn't my favorite thing to do. Um, luckily, I don't, I mean, it was definitely God's blessing that I just, I kind of always had this yearning for something and I always searched for it within a church community. Um, I got very plugged into some uh, non-denominational churches in college. I had a great roommate, freshman roommate. That really encouraged me to like, let's go find a church together. Um, 
And uh, so, yeah, so I, I it wasn't until later on in life where I, I kind of uh, after falling away and just deciding there is something there's got to be more to all this, but I don't know what it is later on where I met my now wife, Lindsay, and she invited me to mass. Um, I was a trumpet player, so I had a one one <laughs> mass uh, experience at the time, and it was back at St. Benedict's way back in the day. And uh, I played trumpet at Easter, had no clue what was going on. So <laughs> so you can obviously uh, probably guess my reaction was very much like, oh, man, like, OK, I'll, when is this going to be over? Go. Yes. Right. So right. I'll go to mass with you. Um, and actually, I told her, um, but I won't become Catholic. That was my my reaction to her. And and now I always tell people, usually if someone says that, that's the start of their journey to becoming Catholic. Um, and so I went and uh, I was one of Father Elkin's first weeks, went to Christ the King. And uh, it was great. Um, I, I was really blessed with the people that were in my life. Mm. Uh, Got to meet Father Elkin through 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 my my wife wanted him girlfriend at the time wanted to to meet him and he immediately was like let me get you connected and looked around and at the time wasn't even deacon but Harrison Garlic was still at Christ the King and so mm. introduced me to Harrison and um, Harrison the good deacon yeah yeah and uh, Harrison actually uh, invited me to a hangout at the church on Tuesday night so I just it's just it's like laid back it's chill and come up there it's a good place to ask questions and so i thought i was just going to hang out with some guys yeah. and showed up to rcia and uh i i was a little <laughs> bit uh, which was a hangout yeah it was a hangout uh, i was a little when i walked in i was like oh man like there's this weird book the whatever you say is <laughs> catechism the catechism was there and in any way but the catechism yeah I, like I, was, I literally looked at it i was like i don't know what this is but but I was able to, I, I sat in that class now, I have a music major background, so I know the, mm. the music history side of the Catholic Church, and mm. back when music was sacred, and it wasn't, it, in a secular sense, it was considered either demonic or just not like, against the church. And so I knew kind of the history of that, um, but sitting through those RCA classes, just, I mean, I was taking it one at a time. I just, like, things just slowly kind of plugged. I didn't have that conversion moment where it was mm -hmm. like, oh, yes, the light switch flipped on. I felt like it was as if I was in like my conversion's like a stadium, but you're like screwing the light bulbs in one at a time. And it just slowly mm -hmm. I everything made sense. And luckily I came in with no major um, kind of uh, hang up. Yeah, hang ups. Yeah. Uh, with with the Catholic Church. So I was open to anything. Mm -hmm. And so it just made sense. I, I think Harrison's such a big part of my of my faith story. Um, I actually moved to Oklahoma City halfway through RCIA and mm. he helped me look for a program in Oklahoma City and and there just wasn't anything that was kind of like right where we were at. And so yeah. I actually drove back once a week and he took me to lunch and we did one-on-one -on -one RCA. And mm. so I, an opportunity most people don't get, especially now with Harrison. It was, I'm so grateful for that. And so, uh, yeah, we got to that point and my now wife ended up being my sponsor mm. and it's been great. We've done everything at Christ the King from, I actually proposed to her in front of the altar there. Uh, we're in, in the mm. church alone and got married there. And now we have two beautiful kids that have both been baptized there as well. Mm. So. The thing that I like about uh, the, your story, which is so endemic to campus ministry, mm. and you know the people in the diocese here know that that I spent the majority of my priesthood before mm. coming here as bishop in campus ministry yeah. at Texas A and M, very large campus ministry. But it's precisely that that we're trying to form mm -hmm. in campus ministry is yeah. students who having been turned on themselves, because often we grew up in the faith, but in a very passive way. And at some point in our early adult life, uh, the hope is 
that something happens that causes us to stop and say, now, wait a minute, do I believe all this stuff? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, right. and look at it more different or look at it from a different angle and realize, yeah, this is, this is true. This is, mm-hmm. this is true. Yeah. At which point, with the right direction, catechesis, uh, formation, they understand that all of them can go out and tell other mm-hmm. people. Yeah, and that's what happened with you. They mm-hmm. can invite other people. Hey, come to mass with me. Let's hang yeah. out. Mm-hmm. And there's a difference between proselytization, proselytizing people, where we're going out into the world and striving to make people join our team because our mm-hmm. team is better than the other yeah. team or mm-hmm. something, and we're willing to use mind tricks and <laughs> whatever we, yeah. you know, Jedi <laughs> mind tricks or whatever we have to. To make them come, yeah. we want to mm-hmm. separate them from things that they're already connected to. Mm-hmm. There's a difference between that and simply sharing who Jesus is for me, what Jesus has done in my life, mm-hmm. where I see the Lord active in my life today. Yeah. If the Holy Spirit is working in another person's heart, those things will ring in a different way yeah. than if not... And if they ring in a different way and the person responds, then invite them to something else and yeah. see where it goes. Your story is a great, I think it's a great lesson in evangelization. I mean, mm-hmm. I, in my experience, in my background, working for Focus, being a Focus missionary for four years. Now, they, a lot of people won't know that. So oh, yeah. Fellowship of Catholic University Students. Absolutely. Yeah. The Fellowship of Catholic University Students, which is a large collegiate outreach of missionaries that we have at, at actually at the TU Newman Center and at Oklahoma State, our other mm-hmm. big campus center here in Tulsa. Um, who work on the college campus and, you know, they lead Bible studies, do large event outreach, and then do peer-to-peer evangelization via discipleship. Mm-hmm. And I think that what Deacon Garlic was modeling with you, I think, is exactly that model of peer-to-peer evangelization. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When folks often tell their story to to me, when I hear their conversion story, mm-hmm. they talk about an individual or a person who walked with them mm-hmm. in their conversion. And it wasn't that, you know, Jedi mind trick. Yeah. It was truly an introduction to the person of Jesus, yeah. an introduction to an authentic prayer life, mm-hmm. what that looks like, you know, instead of leading them astray or leaving them out, yeah. you know, to kind of figure it out on mm-hmm. their own. Oftentimes that big group gathering is great to... Bring people in to welcome them, to make introductions, but it's the follow-up. It's the individual yeah. peer-to-peer work that's so effective. Mm-hmm. So that's great. So, yeah. Well, that's why, you know, the campus ministry has been and still is important to me now as a bishop. Uh, one, of the, one of the statistics we used to talk about when we talked to people about campus ministry when I was at Texas A&M was the statistic that this is going back into the 90s. Uh, At that time, we were aware that about 90% of Catholic students who were at any university, about 90% of them were at a non-Catholic university. Mm -hmm. Only about 10% were at a university that is at least nominally Catholic. Mm -hmm. And of course, not all Catholic universities have a very strong Catholic identity Mm -hmm. to begin with. Sure. And so if 90% of them are at a school other than a Catholic school, it's going to be really important that the church do campus ministry well at state-run or small, private, other non-Catholic schools 
And uh, that's where we're really going to make the biggest inroads for the church in terms yeah. of um, disciples who have come out of college sort of oriented, right? In other words, understanding that my life belongs to God and my vocation, what I do with my life, comes from Him and I want to live it for Him. That affects everything about how I get married, how I raise children, everything mm -hmm. that you're now doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I remember when I first started, I got coffee with the focus team lead at the time and he oh, sat nice. me down in another stat. He was somebody who's like, you know, college ministry is probably one of the most important because 70% of Catholics will actually fall away from, not even Catholics, just people in general will fall away from their faith in college. Mm -hmm. It's that first opportunity they get in life where they don't have a parent saying, let's come on, get ready for mass, come on, or get ready for church. And so they actually fall away from their faith. And so he actually told me, it's like, get ready. Like we're, we're actually fighting a pretty, pretty good fight here. And I was mm -hmm. like, so it turned from like a job where I was like, this, this would be pretty fun. This would be a fun job to like a passion of mine where I'm like, yes, investing here, like my time, energy, talent, treasure, everything here in the college ministry, I know will then be a version of investing in the future of the diocese mm -hmm. right. to be future leaders. But you're doing a particular piece of, mm -hmm. of That's right. campus ministry. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that people certainly would not necessarily understand if they had not heard of, of it is the kinds of categories of uh, campus ministry groups there can be. Uh, you guys have recently, St. Philip Neri has recently become a student parish. Yeah. Now, there's one level in which any uh, church building that has a bunch of students going to it, mm -hmm. people will think of it as a student parish. Mm -hmm. But this is a more formal designation, a recognition that a parish that was a Newman Center, mm -hmm. a Newman Club, so in the late uh, what, 19th century, mm -hmm. uh, across the country, named after and for the patron, Cardinal Henry Newman, uh, clubs began to appear, groups of students began to appear at college campuses called Newman Clubs, typically. Mm -hmm. They were Catholic students. Typically, they had a chaplain. Often, the chaplain was a priest at a local parish. Mm -hmm. And the students sometimes had a meeting place, sometimes not. Uh, they might meet at the local parish, right. and they would begin to try to grow in their faith while they're going to the university. That's the model that began campus ministry, Catholic mm -hmm. campus ministry on these state uh, or non-Catholic campuses. And over the years, some of those schools have become so large, and some of those ministries have become large enough and mature enough to be able to stand administratively on their own two feet. Mm -hmm. And then they become student parishes. Uh, they have their own pastor, typically, mm -hmm. yeah. and uh, they have a staff. They're able to do their own sacraments and record them and so forth. Uh, for TU Newman Center, that's new mm -hmm. uh, to be its own, uh, to be a student parish. Uh, the diocese, we recognize that it had reached a level of maturity and size that it could do that. But the challenge... The challenge for all such student-run parishes is that their parishioners don't have jobs yet, mm -hmm. typically. Mm -hmm. They're, quote, poor university students. That's right. Now, yeah. uh, one time Might get a they, package of ramen in the basket or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, one time they did a survey at A&M and found out there were more cars on campus than students. 
Oh, wow. So students had more than one car, some of them. Oh, wow. Uh, poor college students had more than one car, some of them. Um, and so, but it's nonetheless true that a challenge is how do we fund such a ministry? If yeah. it's going to stand on its own two feet, how do we fund it? And the funding model involves people like yourself, development mm -hmm. professionals. Yeah. So you might explain a little about what you do. And yeah, yeah. So as a development director, actually, I was talking to Derek, and we're I, I watched the episode where he he was on, and and I loved the analogy of like a wire connector and connecting good people with a good ministry. I I use that all the time because it's just such such a good uh, like model of what it is. Yep. But also. I'm like, I'm a storyteller. I feel like I'm the one being like the missions on campus. So we're, 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 we've got Father Porter, Gerald, the focus missionaries that are all on campus evangelizing, uh, helping the students walking in their faith with them. And then they take me to send me off into the community to then tell everyone, tell everyone all the great news that God is doing on campus right. um, and to uh, allow them the opportunity to be a mission partner with us, be someone who... Um, helps support it financially so that we can continue not only to do what we're doing, but to continue to grow what we're right. doing. And so, um, yeah. I mean, the typical Catholic has a number, sometimes a long list, mm -hmm. of charities that they support. Mm -hmm. uh, the nuns running this or that, mm -hmm. the fathers doing this shrine or whatever, mm -hmm. the local diocese, their parish, other kinds of things. And so the reality is that campus ministries can also be one of those mm -hmm. uh, charities that people support. You don't have to be a part of the parish. You don't have to belong to it. You don't have to even go to Mass there. Mm -hmm. uh, if you have a heart for university students, if you recognize that that's a really important time of life uh, for young people and you want those young people to be surrounded by an effective ministry that can help guide and form them, then this may well be something you'd be attracted to. Yeah. The image I used to use at AM, the one that I went out with myself when mm -hmm. I was uh, raising money for a campus ministry, mm -hmm. was that I had the keys to a particularly beautiful garden. Mm -hmm. I held the keys because I was the pastor. And when I would go out and talk to people, I had the image for myself that I was simply inviting them to come and see our garden. Mm -hmm. And if you like what you see, Help us to raise this garden. And people did. They responded. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it really is an act of ministry that you're doing as a development director. It's another piece of it to bring people in, invite them in. Mm -hmm. I love that. You know, when I first got involved in fundraising, when I was working for Focus and mm -hmm. got working for the Archdiocese and then working for here, the Diocese of Tulsa, I saw one of those memes, you know, that you see where it's like, what everybody thinks I do, what I actually do, you know, and it's a picture of this guy and he's like swinging, he's like the Gatsby's or something, mm -hmm. just at parties all the time. It's like, what I actually do. It's a guy sitting at his desk, sweating, making mm -hmm. phone calls, getting ignored all day, <laughs> yeah. licking 20,000 envelopes and stamping envelopes, you know, it's just yeah. like, you know, so, so for you, as far as your, your day to day, your work, you know, how do you, how do you balance, you know, staying engaged with the ministry and mm -hmm. inviting people in, you know, what is, what is your week to week, day to day look yeah. like? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I definitely block out my times around the, the ministry there. Cause I, I, I want to make sure that I think my department can easily fall away, like not be connected with the ministry, mm -hmm. but I want to make sure I'm developing this relationships with the students as well. So I like to actually walk with them too and go to the talks that Father Porter does or the the class that Gerald's doing. And I like yeah. to sit in on some of that stuff, not only 
to build that relationship. It's also me personally, my, my own faith journey. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do have those block times where it's like set aside to like, I, w- I want to try to meet with as many people as possible. And so I, I try to hit the phone calls and and get out in front of people just to, like I said, share, share what's happening with St. Philip Neri. And then a lot of the times my doors close and lights off because I'm out in the community. So, mm-hmm. and whether that's attending the, the local, uh, like charitable events. Uh, we're just at theology of the tower, which is a great event. And it was, it was fun to go out there. Um, Mm -hmm. or if it's being in someone's house and, and had getting coffee or or whatever. So, so Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. People want to hear what's going on. Yeah. They certainly hear this idea that 70% of young people are falling away from the church or whatever. They may have kids or grandkids who themselves have fallen away. And so they have a concern, Mm -hmm. you know, there's an anxiety about, well, what's happening so when they hear of a, a ministry that's effective in helping mm-hmm. kids come and grow in their faith, yeah. that's usually very attractive to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And it's been great to be a part of. And it, it is cool to like shine a light on some of those statistics. But then, yeah, the, the best part, though, is when you get to share the stories, those stories you get to hear from the students, the mm-hmm. ones that are in seminary, the ones that meet their wife through the Newman Center and, and are now married, or maybe they're sending us a, an email five, six years later, and they're having their first kid. And it's mm-hmm. it's great to stay connected yeah. with them. Sure. If there's a student at TU who's mm-hmm. not as involved, they're not as engaged, and mm-hmm. they're hearing this conversation right now, yeah. how do they get involved? How do they get engaged? How do they dip their toe in, in, yeah. in and see what's going on? Yeah. So I, I would say the best thing to do is to come and do a one-on-one sit down with Father Porter. He's he's so great at like just in personally listening to someone and being very inten- uh, intentional with them. Sure. And to find out where they are at in their life in, in their life and their faith journey and and what they want like mm-hmm. what do they want out of the Newman Center and then from there getting them plugged in with the the right people. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a focus missionary or Gerald or a student that's going to spark in his mind that he's gonna be like, you're going to, you would be great to walk with this person. Sure. And I think that'd be the best thing is to uh, get in contact with the office or just swing by if you're on campus, swing by and, and meet with father Porter and, and yeah, he would love to meet anybody. Yeah. And on the other end, if I'm, if I'm somebody who is a donor or a potential donor, how do I find out more of what's going on? How do I get engaged in yeah. the practical way? Yeah, so definitely give me a call. Uh, <laughs> shoot me an email. I'd love to to, to get coffee with you or, or lunch. Um, but yeah, there, there are tons of ways. Um, like, like they said, like time, talent, treasure. There's there's all sorts of ways that you can mm-hmm. support this this uh, mission. And so I'd like, love to, to grab coffee with people to get a feel for what is it you're wanting to do? Because we do have people that would love to just volunteer their time or they're retired or maybe mm-hmm. they just have the blessed with that time and they love to come down and just serve the students and Mm -hmm. there are a bunch of different ways to do that so if i'm a you know if i'm if i'm not a student Mm -hmm. am i allowed to go to church at a newman center for mass can i step in there oh it's it's known by a lot of people around tulsa that oh yeah the latest mass on (laughs) sunday yeah you've been out of town all day yeah you can still catch an eight o'clock mass at the oh yeah that's right especially especially those lake people as they're yeah right, they're right. Not, they're coming back from the that's lake, usually so where they're coming from. Yeah. That's always a. But always in a in general, you know, I've met uh, one couple in this diocese. I met a couple, and once a month they go to a different parish that they've not been to somewhere in the diocese. Nice. And 
So I'll see them sometimes out at one of the far-flung rural parishes. That's funny. And mm-hmm. they're just there because they've never been there. Yeah. And this, this is their Sunday that month that they're going to go out and see. Oh, that's awesome. And so, you know, sometimes people will go to a Newman Center. Mm-hmm. They certainly came to the one uh, that I was at. Just because they enjoy the energy mm-hmm. of the students. It's a younger vibe, you know, uh, all-student parish. Or uh, because they're connected Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they're a donor or thinking about being a donor and they just want to see what's going on. Mm-hmm. Maybe they have a connection to the university itself mm-hmm. or they themselves are an alumnus. There's mm-hmm. all kinds of reasons. Yeah. Uh, but anyone is welcome. Yeah. Yeah, when, yeah. when are your daily mass liturgies? Or, or yeah. So, be good. so our daily mass, I always tell them we have the pyramid. So Monday, noon, Tuesday and Thursday is 5.15 and then mm-hmm. 9 p.m. on Wednesday. So those late night people that are maybe they work late or they... Uh, they're just can't, That's can't sleep. Yeah, 9 p.m. It's candlelight mass, and, and it's great. And actually, for those the ones you're saying, students that may be listening to this that want to get involved, 9 p.m. mass is great to come to because it's very popular. Everyone loves the candlelight mass, but they always typically do something afterwards, mm-hmm. whether it's ice cream Sundays or if it's like kind of like today, like today, where it's, it feels great outside, like doing s'mores out on the patio. Um, yeah, and then Friday we have a noon one as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have so many good individual stories of students who have come through. I mean, you mentioned Luke Bland, for example, who's now yeah. a seminarian for the diocese. Yeah. You know, and and his time there, he had a you know it, the Newman Center had a big impact on him. Yeah. So, so it's really an incredible ministry in the diocese. Well, and we have. I mean, we're blessed with two big campus ministries. Yeah. TU, of course, is smaller. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have the one at OSU, mm-hmm. and. Again, it's also a student parish. I mean, they've just built yeah. a new student center. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, again, if you've got a connection to Stillwater or to yeah. uh, the university out there, Oklahoma State, that's a great ministry to get behind and help. They're doing great work. Also, uh, the school is, what, 25,000 or so students. Mm-hmm. So it's a larger population yeah. and a larger student center and ministry and thus has uh, bigger needs. And so... Mm-hmm. We always appreciate people getting behind it. Yeah. It's one of the things that that happens in this diocese um, because the diocese itself is so rural. Uh, Oklahoma as a state is so rural. But our diocese is very rural. We have some parishes that are so small that, you know, if you've got 30 people at Mass on Sunday, that's a crowded mm-hmm. uh, Sunday in that, sure. in that parish. And... There are uh, people in the diocese who actually support other parishes in the rural area, either because they themselves grew up there and now don't live there anymore, but mm-hmm. they know that that parish needs the support, mm-hmm. uh, or they just have a heart for rural ministry. When we do our annual campaign, uh, many of the ministries that people support in that campaign are serving needs in the rural areas. Uh, we also have small parishes, even in Tulsa, um, you know, I'm thinking, too, of um, we have two parishes over in the north part of town, St. Augustine and St. Monica. And St. Monica, for example, is a parish in the north side of town that's going to be having a big mission when in March? Early, early March, yeah. Early March, they're going to have a big parish mission. Well, that's the kind of thing that we like to tell people about because— mm-hmm. Probably most people in town haven't been to St. Monica's before. It's a beautiful church, and the music is amazing. They have a great gospel Mm -hmm. uh, choir there. 
St. Augustine, the same thing. Uh, Father Celestin over there actually created a soccer league in the back lot of that parish because they have a big old open field in the back lot. Mm -hmm. And now they run a a soccer league for the poor kids, you know, on on, Mm -hmm. uh, that side of town. And uh, so it's another example of places that can use additional help. Mm -hmm. And so people who are looking for charitable um, things to to contribute to, well, even right here at home, we've got lots of them. That's right. Yeah. The, uh, some of the parishioners in town helped he- our mission in Hevener mm-hmm. remodel a storefront building that they had bought. Uh, a group of them helped us re- rehab a rectory in Holdenville, mm-hmm. uh, for example. So those, those kinds of partnerships, you know, mm-hmm. go on between parishes. So. Yeah. Great. Well, um, awesome. Thank you for joining us uh, this week on Tulsa Time. My name is Derek Lissy. This is Bishop Condorlin. We hope you have a good rest of your week. And Merry Christmas. Yeah. To find more episodes, you can now stream, listen, and subscribe on your favorite platform.